Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Let's face it, the future is now. We're living in a connected cyber society, and we need to stop ignoring it or pretending that it's not affecting us. Join us as we explore how humanity arrived at this current state of digital reality and what it means to live amongst so much technology and data. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. John, when was the last time uh, you were mentored on how to deal with change? As far as I remember, the game came without a manual. <laughs> there was no rules. I just like, here it is, play it, figure is it, it out as you go. Is it a new game with no rules or a secondhand game and the rules have been lost? It's, it seems like it was a game that we've played before as a society, but uh, there, there, is a, there is a twist. There is an acceleration of technology and that kind of disrupt the rules and nobody prepare us for it. That's, that's the way I feel. The, the rules can't keep up with the game. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's pretty much what happened. And, uh, and that has touched everything in, in every angle of our society, from jobs to education to uh, even the way that we that we behave every day in between the line of the normal relationship that we normally have with other people. And I say normally, and I'm doing air quotes for the people listening, because what's normal anyway, right? So we, we got to figure out things and, and try to do it in a, in a way that maybe people feel a little bit more comfortable about all these changes. And John, we, 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 of course, we don't know much about it. We don't know much. I, I do know I don't want to get left behind with the rule book. I want to <laughs> stay current and in the game. And uh, that's important to me. And I, I'm sure many, many people want to do the same. And uh, we have a, a phenomenal guest joining us today, Hera Astroff Morano. Thanks for uh, being, being part of this conversation. My pleasure to join you. And, and, and you a- come to us uh, through our partnership with the mentor project uh which we we love dearly all the all the mentors including yourself uh do tremendous work to help uh, a range of a range of topics uh, help people get involved and understand how they function how they interact with others and how they can help their organizations their families society you name it and uh we're thrilled to have you on today and uh, yeah, you pretty much said that. Now let, let's hear from Hara a little bit about yourself, your story. Not, not you don't have to go to the day you were born, of course. Just tell us what what's relevant. What's relevant nowadays? 
What's relevant is really that I am in, I am editor at large of Psychology Today. I've been at Psychology Today for 30 years. I know that sounds astounding to anyone. And in a way, it is astounding in the current business environment. And I will get to that. Um, I started as running the publication, stepped back, um, loosened my tether a little bit to write my second book and then kept my title as uh, editor at large, which gave me leeway to step back again to write my third book, um, which was on the contemporary culture of parenting you know, all those helicopter parents, and which itself was a response to the changing dynamics of life. I think parents were perceiving the culture and the stakes were changing. They didn't necessarily choose the best path um, by pushing their kids, not psychologically great for their kids, which is what my book was about. But in any case, they were responding to what I, in the publishing industry, was living through and what virtually every single industry in this country and certainly in the developed world is living through, which is really dynamic, disruptive change, which is coming to us courtesy of the new technology, digital technology. And, you know, it's just affected one industry after the other, the film industry, the auto industry. Um, we look at industries that just won't exist, like coal mining, um, which is a manual, challenging um, industry that no longer fits the way we need to supply fuel to fuel all the huge digital uh, resources that we need. So, when, so, so one after another, every industry is being affected and publishing has been really dramatically disrupted. The irony is, so 30 years ago, when Psychology Today came back to life after a short um, uh, uh, disappearance from the scene and I was called in to restore it, it was just the publishing industry. About 20 years ago, I remember the first bubble of uh, um, a digital bubble. Um, the first wave of enthusiasm for everything that was happening digitally. And and my business was still publishing. Somehow, sometime after that, as the digital world retooled and came back even stronger than ever, overnight, the magazine publishing industry that I am in suddenly became legacy publishing. Like all of a sudden we were grandparents um, and we weren't the main story. Psychology Today managed to survive very well. It was a tremendously difficult experience personally and, and, and corporately. 
um, and we had to invent new platforms. But here's the thing that really, really got me is that overnight, you started to hear a steady drumbeat of death. This publication is dying. This publication is dead. This publication is bought and going to be killed. This publication will no longer be in print. It will only be online. And there wasn't a day when you didn't hear this story. And, you know, if you're a sentient being, you react to that. It's really unpleasant to hear. It's all bad news. Yeah, you don't want rivals, but yes, in a way you do want rivals because that signals a healthy sector and also signals that you have alternatives for applying your skills. Uh, you know, you can always get another job. So you have this incredible shrinking world and every day you wake up to the news of how shrinking your universe is. And as I said, what once was called publishing suddenly became legacy publishing, which is anything in the print world, and things moved to a digital platform. And as to what the rules are, I have news for you. There are no rules. Not only are there no rules, the rules, because this is all novel, because no one has done this before, and because it's venture capitalism emphasis on the venture it is an adventure people are inventing the rules as they go um and so it's very scary for anyone for a, C a ceo doesn't know what the rules are you can you can have goals you can have plans but the thing you really need to have is a very strong sense of self. You've really got to anchor yourself. And I can talk about some of the ways you can do it. Well, we'll definitely talk about that. And I'd like to make a comment before. I, I know Sean uh, has, a, has a question for you. But you, it's almost uh, ironic that Psychology Today, which is a, a magazine about psychology, it's, it's pretty much the fundamental pillar of the way that we can have to survive all these changes is understanding who we are, how we interact with each other, and ultimately understand that all this alarmism of publishing is dead, um, the radio is killing the newspaper, TV is killing the radio, the internet is going to kill them all. In the end, it's just been changing, adapting, and transforming Nobody, nothing is really dead. It's just reinvented. And, and I don't know, Sean, maybe those rules that we were joking about are really just guidelines. Yeah, and then what I really want to go to is, is the, the employee that often gets lost in the shuffle here. And uh, you touched on coal mining. We're, we're talking about there aren't many industries that go away completely, but they certainly transform dramatically and we can talk about the publishing certainly the stories are there still there the the, the things you write about or yeah write about or even like we, we've moved to podcasts in our in our publication are still there and people want to hear them but there's 
the actual printing part is gone. So what, what do those people do? Can they move to a web-based layout and, and organizing the stories in a way? And, and how does that change and how does that look? So what I want to talk about is the, the employees and, and how they can stay relevant so that they don't get left. And I was joking about getting left with the, with the rules book <laughs> in the trash, right, as, it, as the game gets sold off. So how, how do employees stay relevant and healthy mentally as they move along? Yeah, I, I, it's a great question um, because people care about the way capital moves is people care about the business, buying a name, buying a reputation, but the employees are kind of left to fend for themselves. Um, and you may get a severance package, you may not. But so what employees have to do some really hard psychological work. And um, first of all, if you're bitter about it, and a lot of people are bitter about it, if you're bitter about it, you've got to spend time maybe 15 minutes a day, and this has been shown in study after study to work, you've got to, you've got to write about it. You've got to write about your experience, just 15 minutes a day for a week. In, in a journal. And that helps you process, <clears throat> excuse me, helps you process the experience and get rid of the anger, get rid of the business, bitterness, helps you understand. And the reason that's so important is because you can't plan when you're in basically a closed down mind mode and you're focusing on your past experience. Bitterness is a reaction to something that happened in the past. That isn't going to move you forward. You have to be really um, muscularly fit to move forward. And to get your psychological muscle in shape to move forward you've got to get rid of all the anger and get rid of all the bitterness so that writing it's been shown to work with fired executives it's been shown to work with all manner of people in all manner of industry 15 minutes a day for a week to 10 days helps you really um grasp what's happening and and get into a mindset where you have to do a couple of things and maybe the most important thing you have to do is grab onto yourself. You have to find a way to calm your anxiety. I don't know what works for you going for a walk, deep breathing. I mean, this is a necessary skill to have any time, but when we're in particularly tumultuous times, it's an absolute essential. It's essential when the ground falls away. Um, and then the second most important thing you have to do, and this is, so you've grabbed hold of yourself. Now you have to grab hold of yourself and start adapting and repositioning yourself. Now remember, the rules have been broken and there are no rules going forward. So what you have to do is understand that there really are no rules. Everything's being invented on the fly. Um, so, and, and her, if I, if I may, because you, you talk about documenting 15 minutes a day, and I, I was wondering if this is in a journal and if 
you do, you're describing this in the context of um, kind of exporting the bitterness, <laughs> right? To freeing freeing yourself from that. I'm wondering, do you also see this uh, value before you become bitter, and and embracing yourself and understanding yourself before the the change, the tr- disruption happens? Sure. I mean, this is this is true for anyone, anytime, and lots of people do engage in journaling and find it very helpful. Um, my email to my friends serves that purpose. Um, but it's absolutely, it's important at any time, and it's very helpful for people just for getting a grip on their day, getting a grip on their experience. But it's absolutely essential at some times, um, um, and at times when roiling um, with emotions. Um, and and that can be kept up. I mean, you don't have to just get rid of it after 10 days because usually the process of adaptation, um, of, of finding a new place to be in the world can be a very frustrating and often negative experience. So it could be helpful during that process as well. Um, but Let me ask you something. Can I can I just ask you this? Because I remember the transition, and this is a, like a personal experience, but I, I can probably think that everybody went through this. So like, for example, when I was writing my thesis, it was the time that I, instead of writing by hands, I started writing on the computer. So everything in my head, it become digital. And you kind of lose that connection with with reality like that you may have when you're actually writing something. So many of these labor, as you even say, in the publishing industry, you know, holding a book versus or a magazine versus reading it online, it becomes a little bit more ephemeral. It becomes a little bit more, um, I don't know, less concrete. And maybe maybe is that that make it lose touch with reality a little bit? I don't know. I, I, you know, I think I think that people will probably have strong preferences one way or the other. Um, I actually welcomed and loved the computer because it makes it easier to write. It doesn't punish you for evolving your thoughts, for mm-hmm. changing your sentences, for for refining your thoughts as you go. Whereas mm-hmm. If you remember the old ways on a typewriter, run it through again. It was a very arduous process. So by the time computers came, you know, after that uh, sort of, uh, you know, getting to the bottom of the learning curve came up quickly. Now, I still like writing by hand sometimes, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I think very quickly and I really love the computer. But but I can see how if you're processing emotions, writing things down, having that actual thing in front of you, that paper, the thing that you could hold in your hand, I can see how it could have extra value for someone and, and have an extra immediacy and, and be revelatory for someone um, looking at a sheet of paper. Um, so I don't want to dismiss that. But no, no, no. There is place for both. I, mean, I, I agree. Yes. But I want your opinion on that because sometimes yeah. I feel like that, like 
oh, if I write by hand, it's right there. Then I find it again, maybe years later, and, and I'm like, oh, that's that's what I wrote. And and in the computer, everything kind of get lost. It's hard to stay organized <laughs> in a way. Uh, well, Sean, we go through that all the time, right? Yeah, let's talk about that because I think, and I don't know, the, the, the moving from the physical to the digital, um, we, we often translate one to the next, and then we stay organized in different ways, but we still stay organized. But I want to talk about the learning curve. And yeah. and without the move from a typewriter to a computer is a learning curve. And if you're stuck on typewriter technology, you're probably not uh, transforming any business or any industry. <laughs> so I'm going to stop you right there because you said something really important. If you're stuck on a typewriter. So the thing is, you have to enter this with a mindset. Marco, you were talking before about what parents can teach kids. I think, I think the thing we all need to appreciate as we move along in this is that the tools are temporary. They're the best we have now, but we may get better ones as we go. And yeah, it's nice if you have a fondness for a certain tool. And I know, I mean, I'm a person in my kitchen. I have a carrot peeler that probably is four generations old. And I love it. Um, and I'm attached to it. Um, and I like using the new ones when I'm in someone else's kitchen. That's fine. Um but it, it it doesn't hamper me from doing my work. So it's it's kind of nice to have those to have that fondness, but you can't have an attachment that keeps you fixed. You have to have the mindset where this is kind of all flexible. And the things that we thought were permanent are not permanent, but there are things that are permanent. And the things that are permanent are actually your adaptability, your ability to adapt, to stay flexible, to know what your skills are, to sort of deconstruct your skills, take disconnect them from the industry that you're in and, and just see them as isolated skills. I'm a great storyteller. I'm a great interviewer. I can use those in other ways other than writing straightforward articles and reporting the news or reporting the latest psychological phenomenon or talking about resilience. I can use them. I can use, I can go to work for a company and help them tell their story, which we live in a world where every single company has to be their own marketer and they have to market their own story. So, so I have to look at my skills detached from the industry in which I apply them now, see them as skills, and then say, okay, you kind of have to sit back and, and sort of look at that whole universe out there and say, well, which of the multiple directions can I apply my skills in? And then, you know, you could make personal choices from there. Some industries may appeal more than others, but that's how you begin to have options again. Um, and 
it's really very important to to understand um, how to see your skills uh, and and to and to see, understand that they can be um, context free. Yeah. And the other thing you have to do, and this really goes no matter what industry you're in, no matter what job you're in, no matter how bitter you are, no matter what circumstances your industry changes to or from your whole life, your whole working life, and parents can really teach this to kids, their biggest asset is going to be their reputation. And this, in a sense, is where morality comes in because you have to build a great reputation. When you build a great reputation, which is part skill, you know, I have great skills, I'm known in the industry for my skills, but it isn't, and you don't build skills overnight. It takes time to build skills and working with others and for others to understand your skills. You spend a whole career building skills. You, you spend a whole career building your reputation and you that's something you really have to preserve. So you make choices all along your way. No, I am not gonna work for company X because Company X doesn't have a great reputation. I don't want to be their CEO. Uh, no, I prefer not to have that affiliation. I've made those decisions in the past. Um, so you you work to preserve your reputation, but it's not just what you do, it's how you do it. So you don't burn bridges, you don't, you don't, you're kind to people. It pays to be kind to people. Um, the world is full of assholes. Is it okay to use that word? Um, you don't have to be one. There's no law requiring you to be one, even when someone is one to you. So you build your reputation. And that, I think, more than anything else, when you're in an industry that's transforming, that will help you more than anything else get land on your feet or eventually get you back on your feet. Um, and, and, and you can put your reputation on display because you can put it on display by having one or two really very important people um, in your industry or in the world out there. Uh, um, you can ask them for a testimonial and have it on your LinkedIn profile. And I hope everyone has the LinkedIn profile. So your reputation is really something that you have for life and parents should really help children understand that everything they do contributes toward their reputation. Um, I want to, I don't know Marco has a question, but I just want to make an observation because We've used the word disruption and transformation, and I'm wondering if there's a difference in how we either participate or play a role in that activity or event or series of things that happen uh, to us, around us, from us. And to me, it all boils down to the skills you're mentioning, as well as how we maintain, apply those skills in different areas and continue to learn, perhaps, new ways so you, you use your in your example you have your own peeler but that doesn't prevent you from using somebody else's when you're 
cooking at a family or friend's house. So different tools, different things, but you, <laughs> you, you have to learn and keep learning so you can move around. Right, Marco? You know, the, all, all I'm thinking is redefining education talking about how people get skills to get into the cybersecurity industry because it's such a big unknown. There is need of people there, but different path. People are come from being librarian and they ended up in, in cybersecurity and they are excellent in the job that they do is not just the technology part. And, and by doing that, then we applied it. We wanted to have this conversation applying to everything about education because as you're talking about adopting as the main skill and, and, and reputation as well, of course, I could not stop thinking about the Heraclitus quote, the only constant in life is change. And that was said in the Greek, <laughs> classical Greek time, a long, long time ago. So there's nothing new. But despite that, and I want your opinion on that, are maybe what's, are, new is, what's new is the speed with which change happens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's my question. So we've always changed, adapt, technology, always evolve, but not as fast as you just said. And in a way, our society has been resisting that. So the business has been pushing innovation. And society in the educational system kind of like kept not moving as fast. So in a way, in my opinion, stays behind and using those classical way to educate people. You come out of school, you are what you study for, and he's not teaching, look, it may be that you study this, and then you end up doing something completely different because time change. So your, your opinion on how society could change to keep up with the fast technology and, and the way that it make society itself change? So, you know, that's really one of the key questions facing our society right now. How do you educate for this, you know, world that has just been um, uh, confusing to so many people? And I'm not sure we figured out yet how you educate for that. But what you do do is you really understand that you need a minimum <laughs> of education and skills. So, you know, college education is kind of like the minimum. And then you have to really understand that whereas once it may have sufficed to be the end of your education, it no longer is. Now, here's the beautiful thing. With online access, just things like Google and search engines, you can really educate yourself very quickly. But what you also need, there are also companies and, and organizations need proof of skills. So while you can keep educating yourself and develop phenomenal skills and and prepare yourself to for the cybersecurity industry if you're coming from being a librarian. But what you really need to do is uh, enter one of these increasingly common certification programs. So you have a two-month intensive program. 
maybe a week of it is residential or two weekends are residential. So there are lots of certification programs where you um, study something intensely and gain a bunch of currently marketable skills. You know, five years from now, maybe a different set of them, you know? I want to touch on this, Hara, because to me, I don't know, maybe I'm oversimplifying, but you studied to be a doctor or a lawyer or uh, an astronaut or whatever, you had a path and there was a clear path and certain skills you had to to obtain and experience and gain credibility and, and, and uh, reputation in that field in order to do that. Now it seems like it's endless choices, countless skills you need, um, few opportunities to actually get the experience because there's so many people trying so many things in different ways with so many technologies and companies. How do we mentally deal with that? I mean, we, we've talked about how kids deal with the growth of technology and their, the little community that was in their school has changed to a global community to interact with. How do, Their minds are having a hard time dealing with that. How do we deal with skills and finding jobs given all the massive things that are out there? So, Part of it is a mindset. So part of the mindset is, uh, you, you know, we can get into a discussion of what things that are going on in the culture politically that are reactions to this, but part of the new rules, and we can deduce these rules from everything that's going on around us. Part of the new rules are everyone constantly has to learn and relearn. Okay, corollary number one, no entitlement. You have to keep earning what you have every day. Um, So no one is has permanent entitlement. And I wanna take an example from my book, um, A Nation of Wimps, which looked at this, contemporary culture of overparenting, pushing kids, pushing kids to succeed. Now, it used to be that if you came from the really highest sector of society, and this was true up until maybe three quarters of the way through the last century, um, which was not that long ago, certainly my lifetime. Um, If you came from the upper class, really, All you had to do was pray that your kids didn't get drunk and wrap themselves around a tree on a dark night and they would inherit the portfolio and they would kind of live the nice life. Forget it. Those parents learned very quickly that the world is dynamic. Look who just got arrested for pushing their, paying their kids way into college acceptance. Let's, let's understand that. That's certainly exhibit A of what's going on here. So the upper class really now understands and they buy the $600 an hour tutors. They're in a position to you know rig the system their way. Um, but they understand that their kids, even if they inherit the portfolio, life is so dynamic that the portfolio could lose its its value practically overnight. So there is no more entitlement. 
for the people who have a psychological entitlement, whether it's because of skin color or something else, sorry, Charlie, that isn't the way the modern world is working. It's not only no entitlement, you have to keep up with the, this dynamic world, which is constant learning. And you can do it formally and you can do it informally. And I think all of us, I certainly as a writer and editor, I am doing it informally all the time um, and need to do it. I have not done it formally, but attending conferences, which I do, is kind of a formal way without getting officially certified. So we all have that responsibility. Not everybody takes it, not everybody accepts it, but if you don't take on that responsibility, there are consequences. It, it sounds exhausting. It, it is exhausting, exhausting that the world are that we we've not created. All out? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're all burnt out. It exactly. is exhausting. You're absolutely right. I'm not sure it's sustainable. Yeah. And mm. it may be that we're in just a particularly disruptive period. I'm hoping that it calms down and people can write the rules and people can exhale. But you're right. It's very exhausting. You're in a state of constant adaptation and learning and figuring out how to be and how to do it. You know, it could be fun. It's like learning the balance. It's, it's fun until you have to prove that you're working. No, <laughs> you're absolutely yeah. right. You're right, Sean. Yeah. It's funny because it, it, especially, you know, with, with the past two years, the way it's gone, it, it things seem even more complicated, but they were already complicated before. Uh, you know, I feel sometimes I, I don't have a business card anymore. I mean, who, who does? And when they ask me, so what do you do? Uh, I have a hard time saying that because I feel like I have many hats. You know, obviously I can say, well, ultimately, you know, I'm doing this, but I have also done this and these and, and that. And I, do I know who I am anymore? Well, in a way, I think... It's exactly what you describe is the fact to be humble, maybe to know that you don't know enough that you need to educate yourself every day to stay up in the game and to realize that there is so much that is changing and evolving around you that you, you just need to you just need to network, you just need to stay solid. Maybe you just need to ride that little 15 minutes of your thoughts every day to to ground yourself in, into a world that is constant, constantly moving and changing so so fast. I, I could talk forever because uh, this is an amazing you know topic, and it's not just one topic; it's a million <laughs> a million of topics. Uh, but we're gonna have to cut it at this point. Um, but we I'm gonna go out on a limb here, Marco, and go. say that the Mentor Project, and I think. It, it's easy to spiral if, if you internalize it all. And it sounds like the journaling and the writing helps get some of it out. But I think having a mentor and a, and a sounding board oh, yes. um, nice. is also a critical thing. Important. Nice. Yeah. Someone, someone, someone supportive who can, you can offload some of the distress to and who can support you. They don't have to see the answer or the solution. 
but that's really one of the keys of resilience and it's really important having that someone else whether it's a spouse whether it's a te- former teacher uh former boss it, it's really a critical person um in life and i think that in the end a mentor needs a mentor too yeah so it's great to connect <laughs> exactly together with with you and many other people with a tremendous experience and and uh, and, and story to tell like you, you mentioned storytelling i couldn't agree more that we all tell stories and that's what we're made of and so we're grateful for this connection hopefully we will ask you to join us again maybe for some other conversation we hope you 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 will and uh sean uh notes in the podcast yep notes will be um, there links to uh psychology today and uh your books uh hara will be there this has been phenomenal i really appreciate you taking yeah. the time to chat with us and thank you. Have this really insightful conversation thank you bug crowds award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities protect customers and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.